Hello and welcome to the Outside and Active podcast. My name is Dom and I'll be playing host to conversations tailored for those who love the outdoors. Thank you for joining me on this adventure where I speak to a whole host of interesting guests with inspiring stories. And for our next stop on this adventure, we are joined by Rini McGregor. And just as a warning, the topic of eating disorders are discussed in this podcast. And for more information and support on this topic, you can visit beateatingdisorders.org.uk. Rini is a leading sports and eating disorder specialist dietitian with 20 years of experience working in clinical and performance nutrition. She's worked with athletes across the globe, including supporting Olympics, Paralympic and Commonwealth teams. Rini also works closely with English and Scottish National Ballet, leading on their diet advisory and supporting dancers of all ages and all abilities. Alongside this, she's regularly asked to work directly with high-performing and professional athletes that have developed a dysfunctional relationship with food that's impacting their performance, health and their careers. For me, this is a really important topic and it's something that a lot of people listening will battle with on whatever scale that may be and whether you have been through some sort of troubles with eating yourself or if you know someone who is going through it at whatever level like I say this conversation I think is really important at kind of expanding your mind and understanding of what is a really complex topic especially in modern day and I think there's a lot of practical advice that you can take from Rini in this conversation and it really was interesting to talk to her at the National Running Show and a lot of information in this podcast I really do hope that you can take something from it and learn a lot. But just before we jump into this episode, I want to say a massive thank you to the three brands that are supporting this episode. Firstly, thank you to The Wave, which is a slice of the ocean near Bristol. The Wave exists to bring the joy of surfing and bodyboarding to people of all ages, backgrounds and abilities. Experienced coaches provide lessons on beginner and intermediate levels, whilst experienced wave riders can catch head-high barrels and expert turn sessions too. The Wave celebrates sharing incredible experiences for anyone who wants to enjoy them. It promotes the positive health and well-being benefits of being in or near water while having a shed load of fun in the process. Extend a visit with a stay in the wonderful safari tent accommodation and refuel in the Lakeside Cafe Bar. Book your trip for this spring now by heading to www.thewave.com forward slash surf. Renowned for its spectacular coastline, picture-perfect beaches, exciting cycling trails and enchanting villages, the Isle of Wight is the perfect getaway for outdoor enthusiasts. From paddleboarding and surfing to cycling and hiking, you'll be amazed on what the island has to offer. Say yes to your very own island adventure now by heading to visitisleofwhite.co.uk. And finally, a massive thank you to Keeler, who provide quality outdoor clothing packed with innovation and technology. And after 25 years, they continue to enhance their reputation based on these principles. And we are happy to be offering a special 20% discount on Keeler products when you use the discount code at checkout. And that discount code is available in the episode notes. Make the most of the 20% discount by heading to keelerouddoors.com. Woo, okay bit of a longer intro today but honestly the support that these brands show us mean that we can keep this podcast going and keep having these amazing guests so please please go and check them out after you listen to this amazing episode with Rini without further ado let's head straight in to the chat cool well thank you for coming on to the podcast thank Um, you for having me (laughs) it feels weird we've been 
just walking through the national running show where it's busy and hectic and people everywhere and it's great you've been you've been speaking as well a, a couple of times and and signing books and chatting to people and then coming to a room the little podcast studio we've got set up where it feels like you are not in a room next to people it's quite different isn't it it's really nice yeah it's quite quiet <laughs> i'm a i'm a real introvert people always find that really weird because obviously because of my job i'm always kind of educating and speaking but i find it really difficult um even now like all these years on i still find it really hard and you know i stood waiting to go on stage earlier my like the nerves kick in i'm it's not something I'm massively comfortable with, but I know it's something that people seem to get value from. So It takes a lot, but I suppose you have confidence in the topic that you're talking about. Like You know what you're talking about. You know that it's going to support people. So that gives you the confidence to, to be able to go and talk about it, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm not an actually, I'm, I would say I'm not a very confident person. Um, but I'm very confident in my knowledge, which I suppose is slightly two different things. So, in fact, podcasts are easier because you can talk and you're just talking about what you know. Whereas I think when I'm thinking when people are like staring at you, I find that a bit more difficult. Tell me something that yeah. I, I don't like. Tell me something. But um, no, I'm really interested to have this conversation um, as as. And, and get some knowledge for people that are listening and also for, for myself as well. But uh, just before we jump into that, a couple of questions and a couple of bits at the beginning that we have um, on the podcast. And the first one is I'm going to pass along a piece of advice from a guest who's been on the podcast before. And that comes from a, a very lovely and talented ultra runner, uh, Gary Robbins, who his piece of advice is to meet yourself where you're at. It's very simple and you can take it however you want. But for him, it was about bringing himself back down to earth and just being, you know, not looking in the future, not dwelling too much about the past and what's happened. It's be confident and be comfortable with where you are now. So that's his piece of advice to the listeners, but also to you. And, uh, and the question that comes after that, that we ask for everyone is what do you love about being outside and active? I would say I am most at home when I'm outside and I'm active. I, you know, growing up, I was not very fortunate in the sense that um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s where it was actually very difficult being a brown kid. And um, I was bullied and there was lots of racism. Um, there was quite a lot of abuse and it was a really difficult time. Um, but I always found solitude and I suppose always found kind of a sense of peace when I was on the hockey pitch or when I was playing rounders or, you know, I, I, I guess I'm, I am fortunate. I'm, I'm pretty good at sport. I always have been, um, never thought of myself as like, like amazing, but I've always been good at it and always been in the teams. And I guess it helped me to feel like I belonged to something and I could contribute to something. And obviously now as an adult and especially an adult who is, working a lot with health and mental health and, you know, physical health. Um, we know that when you have that sense of well-being and that sense of belonging to something, it makes you feel good. And I think for me, probably that's what I associate being outside with, but equally it just helps me to stay grounded. And as the years have gone on, I've been very, very fortunate to go on many adventures in different locations. And, you know, I'm actually heading out to the Himalayas in a few months time 
to do a, um, a trail race out there. So I, yeah, I, I guess I'm happiest when I'm outside. I'm, I've, I feel like me the most. I'm not trying to be anybody else. It's just a sense of peace fundamentally. I'm always intrigued when I chat to people of the stages that get them to either where they were at their peak of careers, whether that be athletes or whether that be nutritionists or support, whatever, whoever guests we have on the podcast. And there will be an intro before this, you know, talking more about you. But in your words, how did you get to where you are today? Um, I get asked this a lot. And firstly, I still don't take where I am for granted at all. I mean, being here today at the National Running Show, this is now, I think, my third or fourth time being asked to come back and talk. And it's probably the busiest I've been. Um, And I'm still not used to the fact that people sit up and take notice or that they really want to speak to you or that you've made a difference to them. You know, I've just spent an hour signing books and people just coming over saying just you know thank you for your work thank you for what you do and 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 that's obviously incredible and very humbling um and it does make it all worthwhile I guess how I got here if I'm honest it's just hard work like I didn't just suddenly come onto the scene I didn't suddenly just have an Instagram profile and people knew who I was like I you know, I started life as a clinical dietitian. I grafted. I moved into different specialist areas. I've taken all the opportunities that have come my way. I've studied a lot. Like people don't really. I was going to say study. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I studied a lot. Like I've got, I've got three degrees, and I've got lots of additional qualifications in like mindfulness and behavioral therapy and mental health because I want to always be able to provide best practice when I'm working with people Um, and I've got loads of experience like you know the more work you go and do the more you work with people the more you understand human behavior and I think that's that's probably the biggest piece of advice I can give anybody who wants to work in the field of health or nutrition or fitness is understand human behavior Like you can read as much as you want from a textbook, but unless you can learn to read a human and you can learn to understand how to respond to them, what they need in that moment, you're not going to make a difference. So I think it's a combination of working really, really hard, probably having a knack of connection and engagement. um, And I suppose just still always striving learn more I don't mean this to be I don't want this to be a leading question but I think that's especially important having that real connection with with people and conversations and because of the topics that you specialize in and what you're talking to people about eating disorders uh, nutrition mental health quite heavy heavy topics and very personal to Mm -hmm. people so does that again over the years of experience does that that you learn from that and you, I mean, I imagine you still see different experiences and different situations every single time you talk to different people, but obviously having, having those real life interactions helps. Definitely. And, and I'm, you know, I've always been 
honest and transparent and I try to be as authentic as possible in that you know I'm definitely somebody who has to work on their mental health every single day um I've had my own dysfunctional relationship with food and exercise in the past but you know I'm I'm I am very healthy now and I think instead of seeing that area of that time of my life as a as a kind of um as a negative thing I've tried to use that to my advantage in that everybody's experience of an eating disorder or an exercise dependency or a mental health problem is absolutely individual you you can never feel what that person's feeling i mean even just like two humans we we never know what somebody else is feeling we only ever know what's going on for ourselves but i think being able to have empathy and being able to have the ability to provide space so that you can hold someone when they're going through it and i guess having your own experience means that you're you you know what you would have wanted and that doesn't mean to say that's what somebody else actually wants but you've got a foot in the door in that you understand the pain and sometimes all somebody wants is to know they're not alone and that actually it's normal to feel this way when you're going through something really really difficult um so yeah i think personal experience professional experience they all count but i wouldn't again i would never take that as as me you know the reason why i'm an expert i mean i i think i i always find it weird when people call me an expert or like the leading voice in something it's like well i think we're all still learning because as humans we constantly evolve right like i don't think we ever get to there's not a destination we're all trying to get to it's like we're always learning and evolving and understanding ourselves and i suppose that's what i try and give people when people come and work with me they'll talk about what's going on for them they'll speak about their issues and i'll just sit and i'll listen and then you know one of the first questions i'll ask them is why are you here and you know what do you want to get from being here and what does freedom look like for you and and these are just like three really simple questions that you can ask people but it makes them stop and feel heard and validated and like someone really cares because i could just go in on my narrative and my you know what we're going to work on this and this is what we're going to do and it's going to be this and we're going to follow this pattern and it's like that doesn't work for people and i i think that's one of my frustrations with a lot of services you know general sort of mental health services is that i understand that you know we need evidence based and we need to be mindful of of what we're saying but i think often mental health issues occur and particularly eating disorders i'm going to speak specifically about that they occur because that individual doesn't feel heard and then you put them into a system where they just become almost like a production line right we're going to run this set of questions on you we're going to do this structure we're going to follow this program and you will fit this program and it's like these poor people are like i feel terrible and no one's listening to me and what my needs are. So my biggest thing is about giving people space and getting them to understand that I will hear them. I might not always have the answers, but I will hear them. But I think from experience the one of the most pivotal aspects of recovery is self-awareness. As soon as you become more aware of your behaviors, 
and why you're doing them. And mostly our behaviors are around protection. And, you know, something that may have worked for you four or five years ago as a, as a way of, you know, numbing pain or avoiding conflict or avoiding some sort of like rejection or abandonment or whatever it was that might have worked four or five years ago, but it's no longer working for you. And so, you know, like it's about getting them to understand the behavior because unless you understand why you're doing what you're doing, you can't really change it. And I feel like that is often missing in, in mental health services is that it feels like people come along and they get a sticky plaster rather than really understanding the root of the problem. So this is so interesting. This is why I wanted to chat to you and have you on the podcast because it's, it's so interesting in that a lot of people listening will either have, whether it be diagnosed or not diagnosed, have certain levels of issues with food, mental well-being, mental health, or they know someone that has gone through it, is going through it. And it's like I said earlier, it's a very sensitive topic, but it's also it's very important. And I, when I was looking through your website, there's a clip that you have on your website and, and, and I pulled a little bit out because the statement itself looks quite, it, it sounds quite outlandish, but there's a, you kind of answered it there, but the, the what you say in it, that eating disorders are not about food and body image. So my question then to allow, let you explain that is what do you mean by this? Yeah. I mean, I say this quite a lot because it isn't, it's never about food or body image, food, body image, exercise. These are just the behaviors we go to, to avoid what's really going on. And, you know, everybody's story is going to be different. So I don't want to invalidate what people are going through. But fundamentally, the common themes that have come through is people not feeling good enough, people not feeling accepted, people fearing failing, you know. And it's not, it's not like it's a conscious narrative. It's deep within them, this sense of unworthiness, of somehow they need to attain worth through other means. So something that might start out really simple, like, oh, well, you know, if I, if I eat healthier, then, you know, that might help me to feel better about myself. It might make me feel more confident because we see it and we hear it all the time on social media, don't we? Like it's, it's that constant narrative. And for some people, it goes too far. So I think another thing that's important to kind of highlight here is that people who have eating disorders they generally tend to have a high susceptibility so you tend to be genetically predisposed 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 <laughs> can't say predisposed to developing an eating disorder in the sense okay. of you have the the right personality type um and whenever i i describe this personality type it's like it's so that's you Rini, but it really is is <laughs> this kind of perfectionist um, self-critical, highly, highly compulsive and obsessive, um, but very determined, very motivated, very sensitive, very, very empathetic. Like these are the individuals that are more likely, not saying they will, but are more likely. And you put that person in the right psychosocial space and you've got the perfect storm for these dysfunctional behaviors to occur. And I say dysfunctional behaviors But fundamentally, these behaviors are protection. If you focus on food, body image, exercise, you don't have to focus on anything else. That world becomes so small and you're basically containing yourself. 
you know, containing yourself in this very small space and then you're avoiding, you're avoiding the real issue that's going on for you. That's much more kind of related to more restrictive eating behaviors. But obviously, if we're looking at sort of binge eating disorder, then the behaviors tend to be much more around pushing your feelings down by over, you know, when you're when you're eating to excess in that moment, you're basically trying to push your feelings down. You're trying to avoid whatever is going on for you. And that could be loneliness, right? That could be isolation. And I think one of the things I would love to change is I would love to teach children about emotions and like what they are and how they how they are created and and what they mean and actually just because you feel something it doesn't mean you need to act on it right that's the thing is a lot of people don't understand the emotions they get why am i getting this emotion what is it how do i manage it do i have to deal with it totally yeah and actually sometimes our emotions are really interesting you know like i'm obviously somebody who has spent a lot of time on myself working on myself like i said i work on my mental health every day and my partner and i will have like got full on conversations and i'll be like i'm noticing that i'm feeling sort of this and this and this and this and he's like bless him he just sits there and listens um <laughs> But then, but he is useful because he'll say, okay, that's interesting because I've observed this in you, you know, and, and then between us, I can start to understand, actually, I'm noticing anger and I'm angry because, you know, I don't know, something hasn't gone right yeah. or, or I'm angry at the world. I am often angry at the world. I will say that I am, I find, I find this world a very difficult complicated and quite hostile environment particularly for the younger generation and i i worry about that do you think it's become more complicated rise of tech rise of technology because my no evidence behind it thing of you know people are struggling more there's more decisions to make in life there's more things that we can or can't do there's more people that we look up to that are doing things that are or are not within our bounds of capabilities and there's a lot of pressure and it is that part of it? Cause I was going to ask the question around why do we have a dysfunctional relationship with food? Mm. Have we always had dysfunctional relationship with food, but it's now more prominent because we see it more and, and uh, there's more like, again, decisions to make. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, really good question. I think there's always been eating disorders. There's always been dysfunctional behaviors but in the past, they would have been associated often with maybe quite traumatic scenarios or high stress environments, um, because those are the things that are difficult, right? They're the emotions that we might not know how to navigate. And so we develop coping mechanisms to, to deal with that. You know, if you've, if you've, you know, if you have been unfortunate to have a sexual assault, there's, there's a lot there. There's a lot of emotions. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. There's, there's so much. There's guilt. There's, you know, there's so much there. And that can be difficult to process because we're never taught that. And so actually it almost feels easier to shut it all down. And this is where sometimes we would see on the back of individuals having some sort of abuse or assault or loss that eating disorders 
would develop. What I've noticed in recent years is this kind of rise in more disordered eating in the sense that people have a disordered relationship with food in that they may avoid certain types of you know food they might avoid sugar they may avoid dairy they may you know they may avoid certain food groups or they may eat in a kind of weird erratic way like doing intermittent fasting yeah. or you know or detoxing so it's not a continuous like so the, the difference is that an eating disorder is a mental illness and it is diagnosable there's diagnostic criteria by which you can you, you can diagnose it a disordered eating like a disordered or dysfunctional relationship with food is something that can kind of continue for a long time it doesn't help your mental health it definitely creates anxiety and social isolation in many cases but it might not be severe enough to be picked up as a specific eating disorder if that makes sense Interesting. yeah because uh, again I was going to ask this question and that leads me on to it really nicely because I'm sure there will be people listening that will be thinking well maybe I've done intermittent fasting or I've I have gone through periods where I um calorie count aggressively and I've been through times where I've done intermittent fasting times where I've tried to do keto times where I've tried times where I've tried to do keto and intermittent fasting at the same time I'm at a point now where I'm comfortable with how I'm how I'm eating and, and better with that but is that dysfunctional relationship with food? Is that because then, and then how does, sorry, I'm adding more things to the mm. question now. How does body dysmorphia then play into it? Because again, talking about the eating disorder, the eating less food, the eating more food or binge feed, binge eating is the what, uh, uh, yeah, the what that's what's coming at the end of it. We're trying to think about the why, like what's, what's causing yeah. that. Well, body dysmorphia, how does that play into it? Yeah. And then obviously uh, going back to the original question of uh, the, the calorie counting and all those little. So I think nutrition approaches is what you're talking about to a certain degree in terms of calorie counting, keto, intermittent fasting, and people do them. Are they disordered? It's a good question. I think I would suggest that potentially yes, because there's usually a reason for why you go down that road. If it's about improving performance, then, and I think people often hide behind that, this is about my performance, this is why I'm doing it. Um, but actually, if you then look at the, the scientific evidence, there's no evidence to back up that these things actually are going to help your performance. Where I think it becomes disordered rather than just an approach yeah. is where it starts to affect your well-being. So where you might not be able to go out and socialize with your friendship groups, where it becomes all consuming or, or at least a big part of your day is consumed by what you could or couldn't eat. Or are you going to the gym or not going to the gym or, or how many steps you've done and should you do more? Like when it starts to become more consuming and more of a kind of almost rule that you have to abide by, then I think it starts to become disordered. Where it turns into a full-blown eating disorder is when it's a repeated um, behavior that can actually start to then become harmful to your health. So what we know is that a lot of people will start with maybe a slightly dysfunctional eating behavior. So something like the keto diet is a really good one to kind of use as an example. So you might have gone into that completely you know, just like, I'm going to try keto. I've read loads of stuff about it. It's good for my 
it might help my body composition, it will help me my fat adaptation, whatever you've read and you've gone down that road. But what you've done there is not appreciated the importance of carbohydrate and actually how that can be, um, how it's key for our hormones, how it's key for our brain, um, how it's key for our performance, full stop. So what might happen is that you may end up um, rapidly losing quite a lot of weight on that keto approach. And if that happens, then what we know is that sometimes this very rapid weight loss can lead to changes in our brain structure. So it can lead to changes in our gray and white matter that then starts to have an effect on the way we think. And the other thing about this, which is really, really important, um, the human brain is already biased towards negative thinking, right? We are just hardwired to think negatively because it's our way of fending off threat. That, that's a, a given. If you then change your internal world by not eating enough, not sleeping enough, not drinking enough, not resting enough. So, you know, when you're on one of these approaches, like if you're doing intermittent fasting, you probably aren't providing your body with enough fuel. If you're doing keto, you're not getting enough of the right nutrients. Like if you're not, if you've, if your internal world, internal system is off kilter, we know this increases that bias towards negative thinking. So you become much more irrational in your approach and irrational in your thinking. It does affect your cognitive function. So, so this is why dysfunctional or disordered eating can become more problematic. How it's all related to body dysmorphia, body dysmorphia is it's a condition in its own right. So not everybody with an eating disorder or disordered eating will have body dysmorphia, but body dysmorphia is in its own right a problem. And fundamentally what it is, is when somebody is overly occupied by a given part of their body and they're constantly body checking um, and trying to correct it. And to the point where, again, it might prevent them from living a normal life because they're they're thinking about it so much and it affects the way they perceive themselves so much that it, it can be problematic. I think there's a lot of issues with body image, which is, again, slightly different. And we definitely see more of this. And I think that has a lot to do with why people start changing their relationship with food. And that definitely, I have seen, has become a big part of our modern society, particularly with social media, where image has become so important and I'm not just talking about what you physically look like but I'm talking about your image you know everybody who has an Instagram account to a certain degree that's your brand what you put on there you are representing you how extreme you are how successful you are what car you drive how you eat like it's absolutely your identity and almost people are then making a, a decision about you based on that account and so what what I think is happening is one, our brain can't cope with this constant supply of information that we are giving it when we're constantly scrolling. And we do, we have access to it 24 seven, different multiple platforms. So you, our brain just can't cope with that. It's just not used to that much information. And, and the way the brain works is that it tends to, that there's neurochemistry in our brain, which will then sort of spotlight certain thoughts and we'll keep repeating those thoughts. So if we keep looking at images, 
and we're not having a good day, you can look at that and go, well, you know, that person's really lucky because they look like that and that's why they get all these likes and that's why people follow them and that's why they're so accepted. And if you keep repeating that, that actually becomes something you start to totally believe. It becomes your reality. There's no fact about it, but it becomes your reality because you've repeated it so many times. And that then we know like this kind of very sort of the basic model of our, you know, our emotion, our, our thoughts govern our feelings and our feelings then govern our behavior. So if your thought is I'm not good enough, you then feel crap fundamentally and you want to change that. So your behavior might be, okay, well, I'll stop eating carbs because that's what somebody else did and it made them look good. It, it's it's simple, but it's not, if that makes sense. Yeah, we see other people's lifestyles and the amount of times you see, oh, what I eat in a day to stay like this or look like this, whereas actually okay, you eat, okay, you might eat like that two days a week, but actually that's not what you're eating every single day. And you stockpile the photos you take when you're cut and you're looking good and, and you use that throughout the year. You're not always looking like that. So it's that warped perception of, of reality. And while you were talking there and kind of kind of loops back around to what we were saying at the beginning about uh you know the output being an eating disorder or uh whatever else but the why being uh some other issue that's 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 showing its form in that way it's, uh, it reminds me of um a, a personality on on social media who's like a uh a fitness coach who was saying around when people come to him say well I want to lose weight his first question is his first point isn't okay well this is your training plan to gain muscle or gain muscle and lose fat it's why do you want to do that mm. what's the is it because you want to look better when you take top off is it because you want to be able to do a certain thing with your job when you work outside and i found that that kind of related to that of uh, almost when you were saying putting a plaster on okay we can someone's not eating or not wanting to eat there's a way that you can support someone to then start eating again but that's not going to help in the long term because you haven't actually got to the root of what the issue is yeah. so it, it, it's really interesting how how that works and I think a lot of people will be listening going oh, okay there's I can see myself doing that okay well, why am why am I doing that so actually they're taking that step further back it's really interesting it's a very complex it is really complex and that's what people don't realize and I think like you know often people will say so I get a lot of clients that have issues with body image and they'll say, you know, I wish I looked like X or I wish I, you know, and I was like, and I always say to them, how, what would you do differently if you did? How would you, what would your life look like if you did? And often they're like, well, it wouldn't. I'm like, so why is that so important? You know, it's interesting the value someone is putting on an image fundamentally because of what we are being exposed to all the time. And in majority of cases, when we go in, pursuit of a body image or in pursuit of a sporting achievement or in pursuit of a um some sort of kind of like uh, i don't know follow interaction or whatever it might be what we're trying to do there is attain worth we're all looking for validation right and it's interesting because last night i did a a little story for the national running show saying i was in birmingham and i was you know kind of looking forward to today and i i did this i don't do stories very often, but I did the story and I realized that I'd just come back out. I'd come out of the gym. Um, cause I had no, not that I wear makeup much anyway, but I had no makeup on. I'd been in the gym. My hair was a mess. Um, I am a woman in my forties, so I do have gray hair and I, I, I did it. And I was like, a lot of people wouldn't post that because 
you know, it's it's not how they want to they how they want to present themselves. But I was like, but this is who I am. This is who I am. Like I'm not my appearance is not why I'm good at my job. You know, I'm good at my job because of my knowledge and my ability and that's why people come and listen to me. What I look like is absolutely of no significance. And I feel like the more of us that can do that, the more yeah. of us that can start being authentic and honest and not use filters and not wear loads of makeup and not blow dry our hair or whatever it is that we have to do before we do content, actually, the more normal people can go, oh, okay, I don't yeah. have to look like a model before even nine o'clock in the morning, you know? People, yeah, I think we forget sometimes life is real and that sometimes there are, you can't have a full face of makeup or you have your hair perfect or whoever it may be all the time. And it's, it's that, that's one side, but it's also, would you say it's, so I'm listening thinking, okay, well, obviously want people to be happy. The aim is you should be happy or seek to be happy in whatever and however you, you know, that doesn't have to be six pack and whatever, but would you also say that it's actually can be quite healthy to have a, a realistic and sustainable goal to say, oh, if I, I want to squat this amount or work in more of this into my diet in a sustainable way, not you know rash dieting uh, or lose a little bit of weight to feel better about myself. That that can be positive as well. I think it's important to, to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think, I mean, nobody's saying that we shouldn't want to feel good, yeah. right? And And, but I think there's this, idea that health is a look and you can still be healthy if you don't fit the societal ideal of what health looks like you know if you're somebody if you're doing all the work right if you're if you're eating well and you're giving your body what it needs and you're getting like you know your whole grains and yeah. your your beans and your pulses and your lean fish and your meats and you're getting your, you know your, your essential fatty acids and you're, you're getting everything you need if you're being active three, four, five times a week, if you're sleeping well, if you've got social connection, if you're doing everything that actually makes you a healthy individual, then that's the key thing, right? But I think if you're doing that and then still thinking, but I'll be more acceptable or desirable if I had a six pack or if I lost three kilos, to what, like, to what gain? You know, I, I'm always like, is it worth that cost? I, and I and I think the problem is, is because so many people, the images that we see are often so unrealistic. I was talking to a young client the other day and I was saying to her, I was like, the problem is you are following athletes on social media. You are following people whose profession it is to run or be a triathlete. And of course they look a certain way because they train all day. That's their job. their job. They get paid to do that. That is what they do. But what you really need is to be in a room full of normal women. And I mean normal. I'm not talking about the extremes. I'm just talking about normal because, you know, normal women come in lots of different shapes and sizes. And a lot of that is genetics. A lot of that is predetermined and, one of the biggest challenges I have in my job is getting mainly women, but men as well, but getting the individual I'm working with to set a realistic goal of what is right for them. 
because we can't all look like supermodels. We can't all, we're not all going to have six packs. We're not all going to be super toned and lean because our genetic predisposition does not let us do that. But as long as you're healthy, and again, I go back to health being about, you know, a healthy diet, not one that's restrained, one that is kind of, you know, allows you to have social connection, that allows you to enjoy food, making sure you do have that social connection, making sure you are moving your body, but it doesn't have to be to an extreme. Like nothing has to be extreme. And I think that's, I mean, dietitians have been banging on about moderation for years and it's such a boring word. And I still am trying to work out how you make moderation sexy. And I have no idea how you do that. But it is fundamentally what we're talking about yeah. is that, you know, to, to live life really is to have a very balanced approach. Um, and that means managing your physical and mental health. We've explored a lot of different ways that the normal person, the average person can um, can attempt to be healthier and explored that. But you do a lot of work with athletes mm-hmm. and governing bodies. Um, I mean, Name, to name a few, Scottish Gymnastics, Women's Reading Football, um, Scottish Ballet, England National Ballet. And what I was reading those, firstly, they're what I would consider heavily female participation, obviously with Women's Reading, um, the football team. Um, but why do you work with these? Why are companies, uh, governing bodies, sports teams getting in, nutrition lists talk about these issues rather than just oh, what should you eat but also you know the, the work that you specialize in and um is it a stereotype to say that these issues may be predisposed i've done it now predisposed <laughs> towards uh females in current society or is that is that false i think there's a higher prevalence in females to have more pressure around physical attributes and which then makes them have these dysfunctional yeah. relationships. But I don't think in reality can say it's, not. it's no. just about women. I've had, you know, we get a lot of men as well. And I, and I want men to realize, you know, that, that we do work with men too. Um, is it because they, is it that whole thing of, we don't talk about it as much, do you think? Yeah. And I think also when you're working with females, because Obviously, females, one of our primary roles is reproduction, right? That's yeah. that's kind of why we're here. Yeah. Um, but it also means that our body is very sensitive. So it doesn't take our bodies to go too far before we start seeing the signs that perhaps our body's not coping very well. By the time men start getting signs that their body's not working very well, things have gone quite far. So men's bodies are much more resilient, I guess, if, okay. if that's a word we want to use they're much more resistant than females because of our well, because of evolution fundamentally so i think that's one thing is that i think men don't always realize until it gets too far i think i think men do struggle with potential stigma um it was really interesting i was on a podcast last week with sports desk um and we were talking about eating disorders in women's football and Claire Rafferty was did an amazing interview talking about I don't know if you heard it yeah talking yeah, yeah. about her her experience in bulimia and and everything and I was on there as one of the experts chatting about the problem and what we're seeing and we put this out and it went out on Twitter and the majority of comments were really really supportive and and positive but there were a handful 
of like, you know, why is this such a problem? You know, it happens in the men's game too. Why are we not talking about it? Like men just get on with it. And it was really interesting. And I was like, I didn't, I kind of was like, at first I was like, no, when you don't react because I'm very good at reacting. And I was like, don't react, don't react. And then I was like, no, I'm not okay with this because actually a few years ago I was on a documentary with Freddie Flintoff and he opened up about his bulimia and that got so much support. Like so many men came out and said, thank you for opening the door. Thank you for talking about it. And I was like, why is it that this poor woman is getting abuse for talking about it when it's equally as important? And I did sort of say that. I was like, why is this any different to Freddie Flintoff coming out about his bulimia? And nobody responded. So I obviously shut them all up. But I just think it is a problem, full stop. I don't think we can say it's a, a men versus female. I think it is a problem of humanity right now, particularly in the modern world. Um, why I get asked to work in, I mean, I, I can only speak from what the, the medical directors who asked me to be part of the organizations to say to me is that fundamentally the reason they usually want me is because I bring both a sports nutrition hat, but also it's like clinical hat. And a lot of the concerns and the issues that are, that come up need, need that they need, you know, they don't, it can't just be, a, a sports performance approach it has to be that understanding of what's going on for this person hormonally what's going on for this person physiologically and and how do we and how what's going on for this person psychologically and and how do we bridge that gap but i think the reason why we're talking about it is because it needs to be addressed for too long athletes full stop have had to suffer they've had to suffer and nobody's paid attention to them. And a lot of them have had, you know, it, it is it is career ending for a lot of people. And so when these individuals have started to come forward and say there's a problem, there's a problem within sports, there's a problem within these organisations, we need someone who can help us, then that can't be ignored. And I'm really pleased that organisations and clubs are starting to take Thank notice. Yeah, I mean, even today, it's been really great just sort of standing on one of the stands and... um couple of guys have come over they're like you know we coach younger women um we've just heard what you've been saying about like the menstrual cycle and how it's important but also how when the body changes it can be tricky um we want to have these conversations with our female athletes but we don't know how to have it you know can you come in can you come and talk to us and I'm like yeah of course I can like of course I can that's what I'm about I'm not I'm not here to preach I'm here I ideally I'd like to prevent yeah. And I'd like to prevent more people from going through these very difficult, dark situations that can occur. Interesting. And, and obviously being at a running show, you work with uh, Ultra X and Ultra Runners because that's, again, that's a whole different um, t- terms in terms of nutrition that we could we could speak even, even longer about. But you, you work with runners as well, and that's so important for fueling and, and hydration as well for when people are doing multi-day marathons or ultra marathons, 100 milers. Um, but one of the other things I really wanted to, to quickly touch on, and I, I read again, which I'd not heard of before, um, orthorexia, mm-hmm. when, he, when healthy eating goes bad. And that's, that's a book yes. that you've written. Just t- tell me what that is and what, because that's almost like, well, how can you, how can eat healthy eating go bad yeah. would be maybe the first thing that comes into my head. Yeah, no, absolutely. So orthorexia is, I mean, it's defined as the obsession with eating correctly. And it sort of came onto our, I suppose, our kind of uh, 
uh, well, yeah, it came onto our scene, shall we yeah. say, um, probably about five or six years ago when hashtag clean eating was like really popular, you know, hashtag eat clean, hashtag clean eating. And, and I really had no idea what people were talking about when they were talking about clean eating. I'd be like, I don't really get this. I don't understand. Um, but I was seeing more and more athletes particularly, but, but everybody coming through with like all these rules around, you know, I can't eat processed foods. I can't eat this. I can't eat that. I can't eat sugar. I can't. Eat. And it's like, my goodness, like, where is this coming from? Um, and, and so this term orthorexia, I haven't, it's not mine. It's not something I've coined. It's, it's, it was actually Steve Bratman, who's a physician in, um, States back in like, like 19, maybe 1989, I want to say, who started to see more and more people coming through. And he sort of originally called them like sort of like the uh, the muesli mums, you know, the ones <laughs> that kind of were always a bit obsessional about their children being perfect and eating really yeah. well. And yeah. um, but it's become a problem. Like, you know, in, in Italy a few years ago, uh, a couple uh, some parents were. Um, were, were arrested because they'd, you know, they'd put their, their child on a vegan diet, but actually it was not, it was an orthorexic vegan diet in that it was very, very low in energy and that child did not grow. And so actually they, they were, you know, they were, they were arrested for that. So orthorexia, there's nothing wrong with eating healthy. We've, we've discussed that already, but orthorexia, I suppose it's, it's the kind of become the umbrella term for disordered eating. And it's, it's a difficult one because it's so often disguised by wellness trends. So, you know, when plant-based first came on the scene, there is nothing wrong with being plant-based. In fact, we know it's really, really good for the environment. However, you still need to be able to provide yourself with essential nutrition and essential nutrients for your body to survive and, and function. So what I was noticing was lots of people... I can, I'll never forget it. I mean, I'm so glad they don't exist anymore. But the spiralizers, I don't know if you remember those, where basically people would eat sort of pasta sauce, some sort of pasta sauce, usually tomato, because, you know, there's nothing, in, there's no energy in that, over a pile of spiralized spaghetti, uh, spiralized courgette instead of oh, spaghetti. Yeah, okay. So fundamentally, you have got no energy in that meal whatsoever. And yet they would pass that off as, a meal or you got cauliflower based pizza. I mean, what is that about? <laughs> pizza cannot be based on cauliflower. Um, but this is the problem. So a lot of these wellness trends are almost disguising orthorexia because you almost go, well, that's okay. That everybody else is doing it. So I can do it. Looks like a pizza. Exactly. It's not got anything, yeah. you know, but what happens with orthorexia particularly is that you then become obsessed by it. You, you start to create more and more rules and, and kind of like, I can only eat that brand of tomato sauce. I can only eat, you know, um, I have to have my nine portions of fruit and veg a day. And, and if they don't abide by these rules, it starts to create anxiety and, and concern. And often, again, you know, it will lead to sort of social isolation that we've talked about before. But also you do start to get some physical consequences. Like, you know, there may be changes to your hormonal cycle. Your mood will drop. You won't have enough energy to function. Like there's there's real consequences, health consequences to that. You, it, a lot of people who would cut out carbs would often find that they had really bad breath, but also really bad digestion because you need the carbs for that. So, you know, it's, orthorexia is not a, a specific like 
you know, you have to eat in a certain, you have to eat a particular way, but it, like I said, it tends to be the umbrella term for this need to eat particularly purely. Like it's about, often it comes on the back of a health scare. Someone will go, oh my God, right, well, you know, my my auntie got diagnosed with cancer, so I'm now going to make sure that I do everything I possibly can, but almost take it to such an extreme that it then starts to affect your health. Yeah. I recognise that we've we've had a chat about some very intense topics and very, very interesting. That's exactly why I wanted to to chat to you on the podcast because it's so interesting. It affects a lot of people's lives, but recognise that it's obviously very intense. And I want to finish it with a positive thing that people can take because I always want people to take something from from hearing people talk. And and, um, a tip or a piece of advice if people, just a little thing that might just that's not going to affect their lives too, too much, but it's like, Oh, incorporate this in a little bit more or this actually doesn't well something a yeah. tip that, that people go, Oh, that'd, that'd be quite handy. My tip. And it sounds, it sounds philosophical, but it really isn't is just learn to accept being human, right? Humans are complicated and messy and we do tend to make mistakes and we learn from our mistakes. You don't have to fear failing. You don't have to fear getting it wrong because that's when you're going to fundamentally learn the most and grow the most. And I think there are so many of us who believe that being human means being perfect, whatever perfect is. But I think there's an underlying current there of everything has to fit in a box and you have to present yourself in a way and you can't feel sad and you can't feel angry and you can't mess up and you and I just say just turn up and own being human because actually it's quite cool own being human I like that I really like that and I'm going to ask you for a for a, a, another well a final piece of advice for someone who's coming onto the podcast very soon but if you're listening to this and um, we will also leave uh, links to support um, signposts that you can go to as well because of course it's a very heavy topic and and I think that one of the really key things I want people to take from this that you spoke about is talking and mm-hmm. finding the why and that and that being an issue and, and talking to friends and family because uh, that, that is a step towards support. But uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been really great to chat to you. The last thing I'm going to ask from you is a piece of advice to a guest coming on the podcast. Learn to be more self-aware. Just focus on your behaviours. And ask yourself, why? Why do I need to do that? Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. Now, look, it's it's a really heavy topic. And if there's anything that has affected you in this episode, then please head over for more information and support at beateatingdisorders.org.uk. But I think it's a really important topic and something that we probably don't know as much as we think that we do. It's really complex, but having that conversation with Rini really helped me and, and opened my eyes a bit more to what actually is out there and a lot of different things and helped me understand. So I hope that you could take something from this podcast as well. If you think someone else would enjoy this episode or find it just as interesting or learn about it as much as you have then please forward it on to them let's grow this outside and active community it means that we can keep having amazing guests on and another way that we can keep having amazing guests on is by supporting the companies that are 
you know, joining us on this adventure. So please go and check out The Wave. Really, really good fun. We're actually going to go and head over there uh, as an outside and active team in a few months and try it out. So I'm really looking forward to that. That's thewave.com forward slash surf. I've never been to the Isle of Wight, but based off of what we've been chatting to them about, it's an amazing place to go. So please head over and visit visit isleofwhite.co.uk and also Keela, an amazing, amazing brand. And like I said, like I said earlier, we have that special 20% discount. The code is in the product, uh, the product notes, sorry, the podcast notes of this episode. So you can check that out as well. Make the most of that 20%. And also if you want a chance of winning a free I think it's a jacket and a jumper. Head over to the Outside and Active Instagram at, at the Outside Be Active. Leave a comment, follow Keela and follow us and, and follow the instructions and you could be in with a chance of winning some free amazing products. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Outside and Active podcast. Thank you again for listening and we'll be back next week with another episode. But until that time, enjoy the outdoors.